Uh, my name is Bob Richardson. Some of you might know me. Uh, others of you probably don't. I've been attending Calvary Bible Church for a long time. I started back in uh, 1975. If you were not alive then, please raise your hand. Okay, probably not about 50%, somewhere close. That's all right. Anyway, that was a long time ago. I thought I'd start this morning by sharing a little bit of my testimony. Um, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, um, and I lived there till I was three, moved to Cincinnati with my family, uh, lived there till I was 10, and then moved to the Chicago suburbs. And I lived there through high school. I was involved in Boy Scouting and church. I was raised in church. I remember being in Sunday school probably when I was three years old. And uh, I remember wearing a coat and tie um, every Sunday. That was just the habit of life, and I still have that habit in case you hadn't noticed. Anyway, um, while I was involved in Boy Scouting, I decided that I wanted to be a forester. And I wrote letters all across the United States to check out forestry schools. And I found out that at Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon, you didn't have to go to summer school. Almost every forestry college required you to go to summer school to learn how to be out in the woods. Well, I'd been in the woods a long time in Boy Scouting. And, and at Oregon State, instead of going to summer school, they required you to work. And I thought, oh, work. They pay you to work. I should do that. That makes sense. So that's how I got to Oregon State University. In uh, the fall of 1971, I went off and, and uh, started studying forestry. While I was at Oregon State, I uh, got involved with a group called the Navigators. They ministered to military men, college students, communities, and all around the world now. But uh, they were involved on that campus, and I got involved in learning how to study the Bible and how to share my faith with others, which is something I hadn't understood or grown up with uh, at, at my home church. But I learned over those years at Oregon State that, that believers are supposed to share their testimony. They're supposed to share about Jesus and, and try and help others come to know God. Well, after four years at college, I graduated with a degree in forestry, and the navigators were transferring the guy that was in charge of the ministry at Oregon State to come to Flagstaff to start a ministry on the NAU campus at Northern Arizona University. And I'd been to Flagstaff, and I knew there were lots of forests around Flagstaff. And as I prayed and uh, asked direction of the Lord, I discovered that God wanted me to come to Flagstaff. My best buddy that was helping me learn how to walk with the Lord was going to come to Flagstaff. And some of you may know my friend Bill Cheney. He and I moved to Flagstaff in August of 1975, along with, I think there were four other guys and, and this family that was in charge of the ministry. And we started knocking on doors over on the campus at NAU and telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in about December of that year, I discovered a little church called Calvary Bible Church. They were meeting in the gymnasium at Christensen School. I don't even know if they call it Christensen School anymore. I don't know if you know where that is. But it's, it's uh, what, west of the mall entrance uh, up there behind what used to be where Pizza Hut was. 
Anyway, uh, that's where the church was. And I started attending, and I've been attending for a long time. And uh, the Lord has used me here and uh, allowed me to be a, an elder here. And that's why when Pastor Aaron went on vacation, he says, Hey, Bob, how would you like to bring a message on Sunday morning, the 7th? Okay, I'll do it. I'll trust the Lord to be able to do that. And we're studying Psalms this summer. He's been doing a bunch of different Psalms. But I want us today to look at Psalm 119. Did I say 119? I'm lied to you. Did, does it say the right thing up here? See, Psalm 19, that's the right thing. I really wasn't intentionally lying. I'm just probably nervous and a little confused. But the Lord is gracious. Um, if you... Mr. Greg, are you back there? Are you going to put up that picture? Put that up first. I want to look at this picture. Have you seen this picture? This picture is from almost the brand new uh, Webb telescope. And all the scientists are very excited about this telescope because it can see more colors, more stuff, further out into the universe. And they are absolutely convinced that they are going to see the Big Bang and get as close as they possibly can to it and, and discover all there is to know about the universe. And every time I see and hear stories about this, my heart aches. And we're going to read in Psalm 19 why that is. All right, now I'll go back to the slide on Psalm 19 because that's where we're going to spend our time today. Psalm 19, the works and the word of God. For the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, rejoicing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. 
Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for David's writing here that we'll be looking at today. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what you want to communicate with us. Help me to communicate clearly the things I've studied. And we trust all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's go back to the beginning. The heavens are telling the glory of God. That's why we looked at that picture. That's why we talked about that. When we see the stars, when we look at the heavens, we shouldn't be thinking about what happened. God's already told us that in Genesis. God created the world. In, I think it's in Psalm 80, describes it as finger play. Have you seen people that just out of nervous habit kind of twirl a, a pen or a pencil through their fingers back and forth and, 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 and like that? I don't do that, but, but I know people that do finger play. They're just playing. They're not thinking about that. God didn't work hard to create the world. It was finger play. It was easy for him. And when we look at the stars, when we look at the sky, when we see the sun come up, we ought to be thinking about God. That's what he's telling us here. Really, there's two things that God uses to communicate to us as human beings. One is the creation that he put all around us. Whether it's the smallest, tiny little insect that we see, or some huge thing like space that we understand is going, growing, expanding, getting bigger all the time. And us human beings, we're trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. God told us already. Second half of that verse. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That, that's what God is about. Verse 2. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Every day, all day long, and every night, all night long, God is communicating to human beings. Verse 3, wait, there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. I love a quiet night in a dark place to look up at the stars and see the Milky Way and beyond all those things. And how quiet is it? Usually it's absolutely quiet. Maybe a cricket chirping or something, but it's really quiet. That's what this verse is talking about. No speech, no words. God isn't shouting out to the human race, hey, I'm up here. It's quiet. He has spoken already in the things that he's created. 
Here in verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. So even though he's not saying anything out loud, he's speaking. Um, this word line sometimes is also translated sound. It, it really uh, talks about the idea of a measuring line. Or I thought of a tape measure. That's what we would use today, I guess. Um, but that's, that's the idea here, that uh, this word, it's gone out over the whole earth. God measured it all out. He's got it all figured out. He knows why everything works, how it all works, and, and it's all coordinated to work together. Verse 5, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. I think I forgot something, didn't I? Because we didn't talk about the sun yet. I must have quit reading. I did. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Then I skipped this part. In them he has placed a tent for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run its, his course. Think of your wedding day if you've had one. Uh, was the husband, the bridegroom, was he dressed nicely? Uh, did he look good? Shake your head yes, he probably did. That Most of us are fairly prejudiced toward the person that we're married to and think they look handsome and or beautiful if it's the lady. But here we're talking about the bridegroom. He comes out of his chamber. He's proud. He's happy. He's looking forward to the day. It's the special day to marry his wife, the lady that God has brought him to love. And, and here they go. This is the description of the son. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Keep reading in verse 6. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Sun comes up in the east. That's back this way. And goes down in the west. Right? That's its course. Every day comes up, goes down. Comes up, goes down. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, I always think of the backside of the moon. They tell me it's cold there uh, because the sun doesn't shine on the backside of the moon. So uh, I'm not quite sure how that fits in with this, but, but that doesn't happen on the earth because the earth turns. God created it that way. He made it that way. So everywhere on earth, the heat of the sun is there. It's exposed. Nothing is hidden from its heat, it says here. This is how David describes what God did and how he speaks through creation. And that's one of the ways that God speaks to us. The second half of this psalm is all about how God uses his word to speak to us. At verse 7, he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, rejoicing the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. Whoop. 
Thank you. Now I'm not lost. So the law here is the word Torah. Have you heard the word Torah? Do you know what that describes? It's the Jewish word for the Old Testament. It's all of the stuff that God wrote. Genesis through Malachi, basically. And it tells us uh, here that that law, that word, the information given is perfect. Or blameless, complete. It's whole. It's the entire thing, everything we need to know, and it's also sound. Now, when I was a forester, one of the things I did as a job is I scaled logs. I sat at the sawmill over by Williams, and I measured the length and the diameter of these logs, and I had to guess the soundness of it. Is the wood inside good or bad? And you had to be able to recognize whether that's true or not. You, maybe you guys are woodcutters and you have to figure out, well, is this wood going to burn well in my fireplace or is it really just all pithy and no good? Is it worth my effort to cut it down and take it back to the house or is it going to be worthless? This is the description it gives of the Word of God. It says it's sound, it's complete, it's worth it. It's worth your effort to study and to to, uh, learn. Second half of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, The the testimony, we, we know court situations, there's lots of them on television all the time. You know, swear to tell the truth, hold truth, nothing but the truth, yes. Um, okay, that's the idea. This book is God's testimony to us. And he says that it's sure. It's firm, it's, it's faithful. It, it's exactly what we need. The idea we, I don't even think I talked about the idea that, that the perfect law of the Lord restores our soul. It's good for us. It, it, it restores, it, it, it uh, converting the soul, I think it uses in the King James. The, the idea is it helps us turn back to God. It helps our soul, the inside part of us, Come back to God, because we're all rebels. We all choose, as the pastor says, to shake our fist at God and say, hey, I want to be king of my life. I want to be in charge. That's what we tend to do. That's what our sinful nature causes us to be like. Again, that's not how God created us, but that's what happened as a result of sin in the Garden of Eden when man chose to eat the forbidden fruit. We need a Savior. We don't hear that specifically today, but that's the truth. None of us could be here worshiping, loving the Lord, if he hadn't sent us a Savior, 
to take care of our sin problem. Verse 8. Oh, well, let me, let me talk a little bit more about this idea of this testimony. It says it makes wise the simple. Um, I think we all like to be wise. We like to think we know what's going on. We feel comfortable and, and uh, know things. I mean, but there are clearly lots of things. I, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about that picture that we looked at, about outer space and stars and what... Uh, various and sundry kinds of light can be seen out there and, and what that means and how to interpret that. I, that no, I don't, that's not stuff that I know. But, but the idea of being wise is to know lots of stuff. And it says here that it makes wise the simple. Do you know what the simple are? Some other ways that word is translated are foolish to be naive. Um, we don't usually like to be accused of being naive or foolish. This book helps us avoid that. It gives us the wisdom we need to not be considered foolish. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. What are the precepts? The, the idea is um, a commandment or the statutes. Um, it's, it's really the mandate or a mandate of God. That's the idea. It's, it's what God tells us he wants us to do. And, and it says those things are right. They're straight, they're upright, they're, they're the correct thing. Oftentimes it's easy to be distracted by the world around us. Um, there are lots of television commercials. If you happen to own a television and watch television, um, they're always trying to sell you something. You, you know, that, 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 that's the world distracting us from spiritual things, from the things of God. And... Uh, so those precepts, it says, are right and correct. And the result of, of those precepts in understanding them is it rejoices or makes glad our heart. The inner man, the, the part that's inside us. It, it includes the mind and the will and understanding. One other description it says is it's the seat of courage. Whoa, really? Yeah. That's what this is talking about. It makes us, it can make us courageous because we understand this world is not about this world. We're going to heaven. That lasts forever. This world's really short. I, I remind myself of that all the time because the world distracts me and I pay attention and, and I'm off doing this or that and all of a sudden I go, wait, no, I'm going to heaven. I'm spending an eternity with God. I should be paying attention to that, not this world stuff, you know. But that's me. And it's probably you too, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, keep going in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The commandment, the things that God tells us, uh, the code of wisdom is one way it's translated, is pure, it's clear, it's sincere, it's clean. 
just what we need. Again, it's making this for us pure. Enlightening the eyes. Helping us to see, uh, to become light, to shine forth. Is the idea of enlightening. I'm a guy that likes the lights on brightly. I don't like a dim room. I don't like a restaurant, you know, all that mood stuff. That's not me. Turn the lights on. I want to be able to read the menu, you know. Anyway, that's aside. Uh, but, but this is the idea. Our eyes should shine forth the Lord. When we're spending enough time in this book, it's going to come out. It's going to affect our insides. It's going to affect our heart. And it's going to make us shine. The Lord is going to be visible in our lives. People are going to see that we're different. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. How often are you terrified? of things. I hope it's not very often. I don't like that feeling of, of really feeling endangered. That's not what this is describing. When it says the fear of the Lord, it's not really talking about being terrorized by God. It's talking about having a reverence or a respect for who He is for understanding um, that he is the creator. He's the one that put all this together and is there to support and help us. Um, here it says, enduring forever. He remains. in perpetuity forever. He's been there from the beginning and over here at the other end, he's still there and continuing to go for eternity, forever. No matter which way you look from the beginning, from before the beginning to after the end, although I'm not convinced there is really something we could describe as the end, because it says we're going to be there forever, for eternity. But if we think beyond that, God will still be there, even though we don't think that's really going to happen. All right. The judgments of the Lord are true. His justice, his ordinances, they're true. They're right. They're the, the exact thing. They uh, imply their a firmness and a faithfulness. They don't change. They're, they're not, we don't have to wake up in the morning and turn the news on to find out what's changed in the world related to God. Nothing's changed. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Right? Yeah. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. 
I hear a lot of advertisements to buy gold. You know, there's a recession, maybe, depending on who you believe. Um, and uh, the stock market has been losing a lot of money, and so maybe you should buy gold, right? That's what they tell you. What, is, what does God say here about gold? His judgments are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Now, in English, both those words, gold, it's, all, it's spelled the same. It looks the same. We wouldn't have a clue. But in Hebrew, they have two different words for gold. The first gold is like you'd find a nugget in a stream. You'd find a gold nugget, and that's gold. But the second one, this one that we would translate fine gold, is purified. It's, it's better. It's, it's improved because it's been refined. So that's that word. Goes on, still describing the judgments of God. It says they're sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Have you ever had honey from the comb? Oh, when I was a kid, I had, my mom, I believe it was my mom, had an aunt or an uncle. They raised bees, and they would give us honey from the honeycomb. Oh, it was good. I used to love it. You could whack off a chunk of that comb and put it on a piece of toast, and it melted in so nicely. And, oh, it was so good. And that's what this is describing. It says that God's word, his judgments, are like that honeycomb. That very sweet-tasting, good stuff. At verse 11, he says, Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. Um, just like often in the New Testament, this word servant could be translated slave or bond servant. That's more common in the New Testament than here in the Old Testament. But this idea of being a servant was someone that it's not like being employed today. I mean, we compare it to that a lot because that's what we're familiar with, um, working for someone else. But here, this isn't that idea. This is, you were more than an employee. You lived with this person in their house. You served them, and you were theirs, basically, all the time. And that's how God describes us. That's what he wants for us, is to be his servant, his slave. And it says that these judgments that we've been talking about help to warn us. All right. The idea here that, that warning to admonish us, 
to, to teach us. Uh, again, this idea of sending out light is another way that word can be translated. It goes on in the second half of verse 11. In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, this idea of keeping, to, to guard it, to observe it, to give heed to it. That's what God wants for us, is that we would give heed to his word, that we would pay attention to it, and, and try and do what he's asked us to do. Excuse me. And the result of that, it says, is great reward, or good consequences, you might say, gain. It's good for us. God honors that when we are obedient. Now, does that mean life is going to be perfect? I'm going to wake up a millionaire in the morning? No. no sorry. It doesn't mean that. That's not what God's promise is about. It's about having a better, a deeper relationship with him. That's what I think this is talking about when we talk about gaining a reward from spending time in his word. At verse 12, who can discern his errors? It's hard. We, most of us, are fairly positive about ourselves. We think, uh, I'm trying to live according to what God says. I'm trying to be a good guy. I try not to sin. I confess my sin when I screw up. Uh, you know, all those kind of things. But do you know, we can be a little blind about ourselves. We don't always discern well. That's one of the reasons that I believe we should be involved in church, be involved in a community of believers to help us recognize the things that we're blind to, that we don't see about ourselves. When we have sin issues that we don't recognize. I, I often talk at the rescue mission about um, being angered by those who cut me off while I'm driving. Get out of my way. This is my road. I'm trying to get somewhere. Well, you know, that's really not the right attitude. And I, I've learned that over the years, and I'm trying to behave differently. And, Avoid road rage and those kind of things. And, uh, uh, so, but, but again, what are you blind to? That's the idea here. Who can discern the errors of his ways? Acquit me of hidden faults. Uh, okay, God, I can't see everything that I do wrong. Acquit me. Don't hold me guilty for those things. Uh, cleanse me. Uh, don't cut me off uh, because I've made a mistake that I didn't recognize. At verse 13, also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Keep back or to withhold, to restrain, to, to hold back, to keep in check or to refrain 
that, that's what I need. I need help doing that. Keep me back from those things, God, that are presumptuous. Um, other ways that word is translated, arrogant or proud or insolent. Um, we don't like those words. Well, we're not supposed to be involved in those. But we are. We, or we do things out of presumption. We think, this will be okay. Nobody will notice, or I can get away with this. Well, God help me. That's what this is asking right here. Keep thy servant back from those kind of sins, those things that would drag us away. Let them not rule over me. Oftentimes we can be ruled over, it could have dominion uh, and take over us if we're not careful, if we're not listening to God as he talks and tells us and helps us and points out maybe something and we're not interested in listening. I'm just going to keep doing my own self. That's who I am. I can't help myself. No, that's not what this is about. That's not what God wants. Help us then. Let them not rule over me. What's the result of not letting these presumptuous sins rule over us? He says here in the second half of verse 13, then I shall be blameless. Isn't that a great feeling? Blameless? Don't you want to be blameless? Absolutely. Upright, complete, to be finished, to be at an end. That's how that word is. That's kind of the meaning behind that word, to be blameless. I've gotten to where God wants me to be. I'm going to get there the day I get to heaven. I'm afraid I'm not going to make it before that, but I'm going to strive to get there closer and closer and closer each day. And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Won't that be neat? You know, one of the words I looked up that, that relates to this word transgression, rebellion, we don't like to hear about rebellion, but rebellion happens in the world around us. We see people rebelling against their employer, uh, people rebelling against the police, people all kinds of different rebellions we hear about. Um, I'm sad to report that we sometimes rebel against God. We choose to be disobedient. We don't do what he wants us to do. But when we pay attention to these judgments, the things that God has to say in his word. He says we are acquitted of great transgressions or great rebellion. We don't have to suffer the consequences of that. That's what that's about. We become innocent. He declares us that because of what Jesus did. All right, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. This idea of meditation, the musing or the resounding music uh, is another way that word is translated. Our inner self, that's where he's talking about, in our, our self, our our inside most personal 
space. You might think of it. That's what he wants to be focused, to be acceptable in his sight. And then David ends with, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, or my strength, it uses in some translations. God is our strength. He's our rock. He's the cliff that we uh, hang on to. He's that strong place that we can rely on. And it also says he's my redeemer. He's the one that takes care. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's the one that's ransomed me and you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 19. Thank you for its truth. We do ask that you would help us to recognize the great creation that you've created around us. Help us, Lord, to also spend time daily in your word. Help us to use it to change our lives that we might be more like our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.